Julie Roth, and this is LA Woman. It's a show about women in LA, building big things and cultivating successful lives for themselves. LA is, without question, one of the world's major cultural hubs and trendsetters, and every woman here has a story to tell. Listen in as we go behind the scenes, one-on-one, with dynamic, inspiring females who are changing the game and changing their industries. Share their successes, examine their challenges, and heed their advice as we navigate our careers together, one sunny day at a time. Today's guest is restaurateur Marissa Hermer. Marissa has been on a fast track in the hospitality industry, and it is truly incredible. She's a California girl who began her career in public relations in New York and London before teaming up with her husband to launch and operate several bars and restaurants in London. While there, she honed her passion for not only superb hospitality, gorgeous interiors, and all the ins and outs of operations, but the art of food itself. This passion has brought her not only a show on Bravo, Ladies of London, but also a cookbook deal. And since moving to Los Angeles, she and her husband have opened up two LA hotspots, the Draycott and Oliveta. Marissa and I talked about what it's like to own a restaurant in this extremely challenging time, why she initially didn't want to do a show on Bravo, and the incredible work she is now doing to feed frontline workers and the community with her You Give, We Cook, They Eat campaign. Also a quick note, this episode was recorded the week of May 25th, days before the current racial justice movement began. We'll be back very soon with more content and guests pertaining to the current climate, and we hope you enjoy our episode with Marissa. Hi, I have Marissa Hammer here with me today, and I'm really, really happy you're able to join us. Happy to be here. Good morning. Well, <laughs> join me. Good morning from my bathroom where I'm locked in. It's the only safe place in my house. I'm like, the kids are on a Zoom call right now. My husband's on a phone call. We'll see how long this goes. <laughs> there are so many things I want to cover with you today, um, all the way from like your time in London to back to LA, restaurants, the work that you're doing right now with those restaurants. Um, there's just so much going on with you that um, I'm excited to talk about and I'm really looking forward to you sharing. So um, just, I guess, starting off, uh, you and your husband are business partners. Correct. Yes. So your first restaurants were um, together in London. Can you talk about the concepts behind those restaurants? Yeah, sure. We had um, several bars, restaurants, and nightclubs in London. Um, When I moved to London, Matt already owned and operated a couple of the brands. So he had um, opened a very successful nightclub called Bougie, which was in South Kensington um, in, oh God, when did Bougie open? Well, hang on. It had been open for about seven years when I moved to London. Um, He had a sort of high-end neighborhood gastropub called Bumpkin, where he had one site and he had a collection of sort of high-end neighborhood cocktail bars called Eclipse Bars. So I sort of came into that. So I can't take credit, um, not that credit is due, um, for any of those. Although we did open together then a couple more bumpkins 
a few international eclipse sites. Um, and then a hot dog concept called Top Dog, which was sort of an American concept, um, hot dog joint, for lack of a better word. So yeah, I sort of came into the fold with my background in marketing and PR and events um, in the F&B sector, but certainly learning a great deal because um, I was thrown into the deep end being more of an operator. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I read that you were, you were in PR first. Is that how the two of you met? No, we sat next to each other at a dinner party, actually. Um, so and we didn't actually talk about work and I didn't know who he was. It was before Google. Probably wasn't before Google, but before I had the sense to Google anyone. Right. Um, no, I, um, I was, yeah, my background was in PR. I started working in New York with Ian Schrager was my first client and had the good fortune to work alongside him as he opened the Gramercy Park Hotel in New York City. So that I sort of fell in love with not only hospitality and entertainment, but design and music and food and menu curation and all the different elements that go into creating a space. And Ian is so is like the master at that and has um, reinvented himself and also the brands that he's worked on so many times so it was a joy to work with him and then i took the few well the many things i learned um across the pond that's so cool i can't even imagine like how insane it is to work in hospitality in new york let alone london i was it was it was great in new york because i was young and i was out eight nights a week and i could come home <laughs> at three in the morning and still be at my desk at 8 a.m i don't think i got hangovers and i had you know no children no responsibility and it was fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I also, by the way, love the hot dog concept. I'm a Chicago girl, so that's like very close to my ah, heart. The Chicago dog was my favorite. <laughs> so yeah, it's got to have the sport peppers. The sport peppers. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so speaking of opening restaurants, so what are some of the steps that you actually need to take when you're thinking of opening a restaurant? I've always wondered this like everything. I think, um, <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's an all encompassing, um, project as far as hiring the right people, um, very good, passionate people, um, finding the perfect location. There's never a perfect location, but the best one you possibly can. Um, incredible interiors, great chef, finding a chef who can cook. Um, and finding a chef you can actually work with and communicate with, so, which are oftentimes two different things. But I think the one thing with um, opening restaurants and the restaurant business in general is using your imagination to think about all of the possible things that can go wrong and being ahead of the game. And, and actually, I never thought, even though I try and use my imagination all the time, um, to be like, okay, because we, we have to be masters in the art of planning and preparation, right? Because in the restaurant business anyway, there are always things that go wrong, whether it's the customer shows up or there's a fly in the soup or not that that's ever happened with us, but that's <laughs> idea. But I certainly never imagined coronavirus was, I think, the night before our restaurants closed, it, certainly Olivetta, we were open for two months, two and a half months, was like our busiest night ever. I mean, we, you know, broke all of our records and then the next day we shut our doors. Um, so I think opening a restaurant and also restaurant businesses in general, you just, you have to 
think of absolutely everything. And when you don't, it's that one thing you don't think of that trips you up. Yes, absolutely. That's a really, really good point. I mean, I, even, now that I think about it, just working as a waitress back in the day, you really learn to think on your feet and make sure you're like one step ahead of your customer. We're firefighters, ultimately. I truly think that. I'm like, I, all I do is put out fires all day long and, you know, try and create a bit of magic along the way for our guests. But also it's just like, yeah, crisis management. Yeah. I mean, listen, I... um it's Olivetta. Is that how you pronounce it, right? Olivetta. Mm -hmm. Olivetta. Um, I and people have gone like absolutely bonkers over the interior. So I, I'm really looking forward to, to visiting. Very beautiful. Yeah. It's very beautiful. Yeah. Um, so I, I do want to ask this because I've never had the experience of living abroad. So when you were in London, did you feel like a fish out of water? Like, how do you sort of deal with that? I mean, I know you had your partner and everything, but. I didn't really feel like a fish out of water. I, um. I love traveling and I, and I, I'm an adventurer at heart and I've always loved to, yes, maybe, I guess when you say a fish out of water, that sounds like a bad thing. And I, I love being a fish out of water because that's when I'm learning the most. That's when I'm like deepening and, and just like soaking it all in. If it's familiar to me, it becomes stagnant or, you know, and I'm, I like to be inspired and look under the rocks and that, that only happens when I'm a fish out of water. So, um, I guess I did in a sense, but it never felt like a bad thing. I felt like I was a tourist in London. I think I was there for, I can't even remember 14. I was there a couple of times. So about 14, 15 years, 14 years. Um, and I always felt like a tourist in London even though it was my home and I felt very comfortable there, but I was always learning and, and, you know, discovering something new around the next corner. That's such a beautiful way of thinking about it, honestly, because it's, it's all about, uh, you know, we hear all the time you have to get comfortable, comfortable with being uncomfortable. And it's very much easier said than done. I think for, you know, whatever personality type you are. So that's a really, really nice way of thinking about it. I think it's just the point of view with anything in life you know, especially now, if you can edit your, choose your point of view, then that will affect your experience. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and sometimes for me, I really have to take a step back and chill. <laughs> <laughs> I like take a deep breath because sometimes I like go into that place where it's like, I'm spiraling, I'm spiraling, which all, everyone close to me knows about me. Um, but you know, you get through it and then you look back and you're like, oh yeah, I probably shouldn't have freaked out. Everything's cool. Yeah, fine. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how long, if you don't mind me asking, how long after you were in London, um, did Bravo reach out about the show they were doing, Ladies in London? Oh God, years. Um, I was in London. I think I was pregnant. Was I pregnant? Maybe I'd just given birth to our eldest son. So nine years. I mean, I was there for... Must have been, I'm just trying to think. Seven. Was that for six or seven years? Eight time. years before they reached out? That's a long time. Um, yeah, I mean, very much felt like I was, you know, a Londoner. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm interested to know how that exposure affected your businesses. 
It did in a wonderful way, actually. I mean, I was in a panic. I wasn't, I I didn't actually really want to do the show at first. I thought it was a terrible idea. Um, The idea of going on to reality, global reality television, where I didn't have a voice in the edit um, terrified me. And, you know, I thought my husband's businesses um, had done very well without me putting them on global television. So why would I you know, add that into the mix where it could go, you know, haywire. And the producers were very um, persuasive. And actually actually they kept saying, this is going to be great for your business. This is going to be great for your business. And I thought, well, then you're talking to the wrong person because I can't be the one pushing this for Matt's businesses at the time. This was before I had my own there Um, and have it, you know, have a negative impact in any way. So talk to him. And if you can convince him that, you know, his babies that he, um, you know, if he wants to, you know, add that into the mix, then, um, then fine. And they convinced him. And so then I thought, I might as well do it now. Um, so that was sort of it, but it did have an incredibly, it had a huge impact. Well, I don't want to say huge because again, the businesses were um, very successful before, but, the the audience got a lot bigger. So whereas our audience was, you know, local South Kens and um, local Londoners, really, because all of the sites were neighborhood bars and restaurants and nightclubs, we then got an influx of international foot traffic. So anyone who was coming into town in London wanted to visit Bumpkin, wanted to visit Eclipse, wanted to go to Bougie, but that was sort of more of a membership um, scheme. And so we did get a lot more sort of tourists, tourists to both sites, to both of those brands. So, and it's, yeah, I think I got a cookbook deal off the back of it, which um, I would never have had before because I never had an audience, you know, who really cared. I actually just spoke just to um, Catherine McCord. Oh, I love Catherine. She's really, really wonderful person um, about cookbooks and, and all of that. So it was that. So you were approached. I know she did a proposal. You were approached. I was approached to do a cook. Do you know, I, um, I started cooking a lot when I was pregnant with Sadie, our um, daughter, who I had a a rare pregnancy condition that meant that I was bed bound for most of the time. And when I wasn't, um, my doctor really wanted me just to sit and stir basically. Um, that's the most I could get away with. I said, well, can I cook in the kitchen? Not that I really enjoyed cooking that much before, but I just thought it was something to do at home. Um, and, and I think, and he said, yes. And also at the time, because I wasn't able to run around in the park with the boys um, or go out to dinner with my husband, it felt like I was able to tap into those, my maternal needs where I wanted to feed my family or do something for my children and for my husband. And so I just started cooking. It felt like it was nourishing to them, which made me fulfilled as a mother and a wife. So I started cooking a lot. And I had a publicist at the time because of the television show. And every time she called me, I was always making a new dish or doing something. We would have calls while I was baking. And then I would tell her what I was making. And she said, I think you've got a, I think there's a cookbook here. And I said, you're out of your mind. I'm not a, I'm not a chef. And she said, well, let me just, let me just have a couple conversations and see, you know, what I can do. And I was like, okay, sure. You know, why not? Um, and then Rodale gave me a, I mean, it sort of just happened. It fell in my lap. And I said, sure, I guess I'll write a cookbook. Um, 
which then, by the way, is a huge process and something I, <laughs> I was very flippant about it. I was like, yeah. oh yeah, no big deal. I can do it. Um, and it is a, an incredible um, um, project, but a very rewarding one um, at the end of it. So, yeah. You know, when you talked about um, cooking and, and being at home and nourishing your family, I think that is what so many people are feeling right now more than ever. Yeah, you need something. Um, cooking is very meditative and therapeutic because like anything you have when you're using knives and um, you have to pay attention, you can't really let your mind wander. You, there's math and timing involved, otherwise you'll burn whatever you're making. Um, and so you really need to focus in at the task at hand. I found that very comforting when I was pregnant with this very, um, I, I was getting bad news from our doctors all the time that, that our daughter wouldn't make it through the delivery, that I wouldn't make it through the delivery. And those thoughts sort of crowd and cloud your mind all the time. And so cooking was sort of a break from all of that. And I can only imagine it's the same now too for a lot of people certainly for me i love i'm cooking a lot more now i go through phases obviously i was cooking when i was pregnant and then i get busy and i'm eating out at every restaurant and now i'm cooking a lot more um yeah it, and it also it does it nourishes your soul and it, it just feeding your family is much more than just putting dinner on the plate you know food is much more than just you know your your square meal to it's it does. It sort of um, it brings people together, and it, it's very nourishing on a much deeper level. Yeah, I mean, so I imagine going out to dinner with your husband is is sort of inspirational as well. Like maybe you get new ideas or thoughts or spices in your head about what you can do, um, you know, to alter maybe your own menu or introduce a new dish. So, would you say that cooking at home now has had to take that space up? No, because it can't. I mean, I, God, I miss going to restaurants so much. Um, know, it's too. like my passion in life. It's my greatest joy. Um, cooking at home is different. It's, it's, it's something, it's definitely the silver lining, one of the silver linings to this wacky time. Um, family dinners and getting the kids, our children love to cook and that sharing that joy with them and also the joy of cooking, but also appreciation of produce and food and what it takes you know from the farmer's market and who are our farmer friends to getting it to washing it you know to putting it in our tummies and how does that make us feel that whole circle of of life is is such an important process but it's totally different than the experience of going out to eat i mean making dinner setting the table and tidying up then you know, putting on a dress and going out to a restaurant and being served are very different things. Oh my gosh, tell me about it. But I mean, both, I enjoyable, even... both enjoyable, and I truly am enjoying the family dinners now, and I am equally lusting for the times when I can go out to dinner again. Oh, of course. I mean, absolutely. Yes. I think a lot of us are in the same boat, you know, because you, you know, you, you really sit back, I mean, at least I think um, I can say probably for the both of us, you really sit back and you think, wow, I am, I am more fortunate than I ever thought I could 
see myself as right now just to have health and um, food in the fridge alone. So yes, of course, like that, that goes without saying. Um, but yeah, certainly being in, in a big city, even a small town, I mean, going out to eat is, is a very ritualistic. You're able to um, sit back and share stories and, and moments with people you love. So it's, 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 it is a different thing. Yeah, it's, I was listening to um, another podcast, actually, and it was talking about food voices and what that means. And I think there are two, there's like the voice, you're like the language of food, right? And that language that we use for a home-cooked meal is very different than my language of a dining experience. It's such a different feeling. Even when you say those words home-cooked meal, it reminds me of like being in college, coming home for Thanksgiving. With your mom and, like, and your and family like, and you're cozy yeah. and you're nurtured. Um, and then, you know, we get to, you know, have, you know, put on high heels and go out and feel fabulous and have a martini and all of those wonderful things too. So Damn, I think- I wanna do that so <laughs> bad. <laughs> I know. Soon enough. Soon yeah. enough. I do think we'll be opening soon in LA. I really do. Oh, I know. They've been, yes, I think, I mean, who isn't talking about it, but my husband and I are talking about it um, early this morning and um, they're, I think they're thinking about opening health clubs too. Um, and once oh. that is, I think they're going to make an announcement about that. So, but it's, it's truly by the time this podcast is up and running, it's going to be totally different. It changes every yeah. day every day it's mad yeah, yeah. what so, a time who knows we can time stamp this a little bit um <laughs> who knows at this moment restaurants are not open for um patrons inside um, yes but we'll see we'll see okay. um so on that subject i actually mm. really love to talk about your you donate we cook they eat mm. Um, with Olivetta and the Draycott. So mm -hmm. um, you took action so quickly after the shelter in place began here in LA. Can you talk us through how this campaign really came about? Yeah, it, um, it, it didn't start out as a campaign at all. It's just started out because we had, um, we had to close our restaurants, <clears throat> but we had a very capable and talented team, uh, kitchen team, we had clean kitchens. Um, I had, my husband and I have cars that can deliver food. And we, as just a family, started, um, started delivering food to the front lines because we can. I had friends who worked in hospitals and I knew they were getting slammed. And we all know when we're working really hard, the last thing you think about is food. And actually, I always think that's the most, that's fuel for their bodies, right? And they are our heroes right now. Um, and so we started delivering food to our friends in the hospitals and their teams. And then I also started a weekly giveaway on our different Instagram sites for the Draycott and for Olivetta because, because again, we could. So I was giving away a free dinner and I asked our followers to nominate someone in town, well, not necessarily in town, but really more Santa Monica, Palisades, Brentwood for the Draycott and West Hollywood and Beverly Hills for Olivetta. Um, and this, is, this was not a needs-based um, uh, give because who am I to decide who needs a meal or not? 
but I, I think everyone needs a smile right now. I think if you, you know, cooking, I mean, at this point, we've all cooked, you know, probably three meals for the almost the last three months. That is enough to do anyone's head in. Um, but also the elderly, those who are stuck inside, who have underlying health conditions, single parents, but also any parent, any person right now who gets the onslaught of the news that we're getting and the uncomfort of the unknown is needs a smile. And so we just started doing these weekly giveaways and it actually for completely selfish reasons, because it made me feel good and it made Matt feel good and it made our team feel good. And that feeling is reason enough to do something that, that pay it forward feeling. Um, and one day we had been doing it for a couple of weeks and I got an email. I got a phone call from a friend saying, well, no, we we're chatting. And she said, where are you going? And I was in the car and I said, oh, I'm actually on my way to chalk hospital right now. We're delivering some food to the, um, the team there. And she said, well, that's amazing. Like who's doing that? I said, Oh, we're just, you know, we, we've got food in our kitchen and we have a team. And so I've just put it in the back of my car and she said, do you know what? Here's my, I'm going to take a picture of my credit card and put $2,500 on it. And we want to take care of the next couple of deliveries, wherever that is, whatever hospital you want. And I was like, Oh my God. Oh, okay. Wow. And she's a dear friend. It was also the most generous thing. And, and it made her feel good because, and I said, are you sure? Cause I sort of feel like I'm taking suddenly this is like my friend is paying me money and she said, I'm not giving it to you. I want to do something because right now I've been told that the best I can do is sit on the couch and watch Netflix. And that is not good enough for me, but I can't do anything else. And you are in a position to do that. And so please do it for me. And I thought, all right, by the way, with pleasure. Um, and then that same day, I got a DM from someone who I'd never met before, but who um, goes to the Draycott restaurant. And he said, I called to place an order today. And I asked if you were there. And they said you were doing, a, I think you're bringing food to the firemen or something. And he said, I want to help. So can you put $2,000 on my credit card? I want to take care of this next one. And in one day, suddenly I thought, oh, wow, like this is incredible. And I and I realized that there was a, um, there's this group, we wanna do something as a community, as a global community to help this cause. And not all of us are doctors and nurses, not all of us are first responders, but we, that still doesn't mean that we can't do something to participate in this. And, um, and so we set up a GoFundMe and raised with, I mean, we set that up, I think, April 9th, I finally set up the GoFundMe because before I was just taking people's credit cards down, they would call me or send, I was like, okay, send me a picture. I mean, this was like very rickshaw. Right. Um, and we set, we raised, we've now raised over $35,000 um, and we've delivered over 3,000 meals. Oh I'm God. going to the fire department in an hour. I was at St. John's Hospital yesterday. We'll go again to UCLA Westwood tomorrow. And we deliver to all of the Los Angeles hospitals and fire departments, ambulances, um, and we continue our weekly giveaway of, to someone in need. Now, again, in need doesn't mean um, that always in need, although oftentimes it is very much in need, um, but sometimes people just need a smile. I have honestly have goosebumps. <laughs> when you said $35,000, I was, that's, that's absolutely incredible. It's very heartwarming. And it's also, you know, some people give $10 and with a little note, like this is all I can afford, but I want to give. By the way, 
I feel it's so wonderful. And then we have people who give a thousand dollars every week because they want to help. And right now we're all a little handcuffed as far as what we can do. You know, yes, we can all, you know, leave a note for our postman outside, like, thank you for the work that you're doing, or, you know, drop flowers off at our neighbor's house. But um, this is a real way that we, and obviously as someone who is in the food business and loves food and appreciates the, the nourishing value of food on so many levels, when we deliver food or when I deliver these meals, the nurses come out and they are not only excited because they have lunch that they don't have to pay for themselves and they don't have to think about, but also that someone else is thinking about them is hugely, is like, it, if it, our mental health right now, I think as a global community, is a really, real huge problem. And that helps when, when you know someone's thinking about you. So that's what I see is, you know, the firemen, I had no idea how this works. So firemen, every day, they choose one, they nominate one fireman, um, fire, firefighter, firewoman, to go to the grocery store, and they pool their money, and that firefighter collects all of the ingredients at the grocery store and comes back and cooks it for the entire firehouse. Well, so when we deliver, they don't have to use their money. To, they, they don't have to pay for their own lunch. The main thing they said is they, they no one likes going to a supermarket right now because that's like the cesspit, right? So while, of course, they have to go into the front, you know, when they go into people's homes and they transport some patients, you know, COVID patients to the ICU, which they do a lot, it's just one less exposure that they have to, you know, one less point of exposure that they have to put themselves in. Yeah. And they really appreciate that. Or they get to just hang out rather than making lunch again. You know, it's just these moments of, brain space that everyone can take. Oh, absolutely. I, it's, I truly can't imagine that. Yeah. And I, I love what you said about, um, you know, we not, we're not all first responders, um, of course, but we just want to do something. We do something and we can, we're still taking funds. We're still taking your money. So <laughs> everyone is listening. Donate truly because we actually now are in a position, we raised a lot of money very quickly. And, um, and that was, by the way, we were overwhelmed by the support. And now I can see either people think we're coming to the end of this, end of this, which I hope we are, but I can tell you there's still a lot of need, but there's less focus. I think, and I also think people are fatigued. Everyone's bored of this. I like that the, the motivation, um, you know, in the beginning, everyone was learning French and Italian and we were all like working out and, do, and now everyone's like, God, come on. And I see that too in our, in our levels of contribu contribution. It's not a bad thing. It is what it is, but I can tell you that there is still very much a need. And so if anyone here is listening, go to my Instagram, go to the link in my bio and donate whatever you can, because we will keep doing this as long as we have funds to do it. Thank you for that. Yes, absolutely. Um, so this is all donation based, but I'm also curious about how your own business model has changed, has had to change since, um, COVID-19 has become a reality. I mean, 
That's a heavy question. I don't mean to like throw that out. No, no. I, I mean, I'm thinking about business model. I mean, that's such a structured word in a time like <laughs> there's no model. Yeah. We are literally trying, like figuring it out day by day. Um, we first, we set up takeout because now granted we, we are dine-in restaurants. We are not takeout and delivery. The whole, I think the magic of going to the Draycott and the experience of going to Olivetta is very much of the act of going and being in these beautiful rooms and having incredible service and sort of being swept off your feet into like a fairyland. Now that won't happen in a, um, <laughs> in a brown paper bag that is right. delivered on your doorstep. It's just right. a different experience. And so we had to figure out, okay, how can we translate these brands into a takeaway option? Is it even worth it? Um, and equally, just what is all of that? And how do you set it up online? Like it was just, so it took us a couple of weeks to do that, which we did. Um, and as a model, yes, we are doing it. And then we started doing door to door delivery. Um, it's a model. It's an addition that we will keep going. We will add to this, the business model when we reopen for dine in. We never will be takeaway and um, delivery restaurants that, that just, I mean, we have huge restaurants. It just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't cost out. But, um, as far as the importance, what we decided is, you know, I'm not getting rich. We're not getting rich on the back of our, um, our takeout or delivery. I'm not retiring. Um, but what we are doing is we are continuing to feed the community and, um, and our, sorry, I'll backtrack. We wouldn't be able to do the, give back program we wouldn't be able to do you give we cook they eat if we weren't open for takeout and delivery right. because we need to keep our team cooking um and and that was an important part of it we once we start we realized there was an opportunity to nourish the front lines and our first responders we felt that was very important and almost the takeout and delivery side is almost supplemental to that um that need but we did, it is important to continue to feed our community. Both restaurants are, while the Olivetta is much newer, it has this very cult-like, club-like following. Yeah. Um, and the Draypot is, you know, part of the heart and soul of the Palisades community. And so we need to keep our doors open and we have to feed, you know, have the Draycott at home and Olivetta at home. If nothing else, again, just to remind people of what was and give them hope and optimism for the future that they will be able to go have their martini at Olivetta, which we're now this weekend, we're having our classic, our dirty martini, which is the best martini I think in Los Angeles in a mason jar for pickup. And so these little things, if we can like give tastes of the magic of what was just generally in life um, and get people excited about what, can, I think it gives people hope. I think it helps people, you know, mind mental health. Um, and it keeps the brands alive. So <clears throat> it's, it's funny because people, someone asked me the other night, like, has takeout and delivery been worth the trouble or worth the hassle? Because it, it is. I mean, I've <laughs> set up two very different businesses in a period of days. Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, what is trouble worth? Like everything, of course I can do it. But I think connecting with our, continuing to be able to connect with our community and our supporters and and also give them a taste of the good life is very important now 
Yeah. I just, the flexibility of, of all of this is, is extremely admirable. Um, no, really. I mean, I know it's like your hand was forced, like, of course, everyone's has been, um, but it's just the, just the overall attitude and, and, and how you're approaching this is, is really inspiring. Do you know what I love? I love meeting, I love meeting people and I'm able to connect with our guests in completely different ways. Um, you know, usually I was sort of sashaying around the dining room and loving that. And right. now I get phone calls from guests saying, can I place an order for a pesto pasta and a roast chicken and a margarita? And I'm like, okay, yes, I will take your order because we have to. But then I chat about their day and how they're doing. Or I met a gentleman the other day at Olivetta. I was outside doing curbside pickup where we load um, the dinners into our guests' cars. And he said, I introduced myself and he was chatting. He said, I'm so excited to finally be here. He said, I was never able to get into Olivetta. You guys were, I couldn't get a reservation. <laughs> but now I get to eat your food. <laughs> so, that is so sweet. It's so sweet. And now he has my phone number. And as soon as we open, I'm like, you can have the best table. Of course. You know, he orders from us now every week. He's like, this is the best food. Now I can't wait to eat it in the dining room. I'm like, you'll get there. We'll get there. Oh, I have chills again. Yeah. Stop it. It's really, so, <laughs> you know, we're connecting to our, our supporters. We've never appreciated our cheerleaders more. Um, and so it's, it's all good. I mean, no, no one would wish us on any business. Um, but it's, it's, um, it's God, it's in these times of disorder that we grow deeper, right? I actually want to know what people are ordering the most. Oh my God. Our, um, our lamb bolognese is Ooh. incredible. All of our pasta is homemade, has made. So the lamb bolognese is a huge seller. The pesto pasta is a huge seller. The, um, the Branzino, the roast chicken, our roast chicken is like incredible. It's brined, it's deboned, it's you like just devour it. Um, what else does everyone love? Oh, the berry cake, because I mean, I eat berry cake every morning and every evening. Berry <laughs> cake is divine. And then we have rotating specials, our cocktails. Every, it's, we do these incredible mar um, mason jar cocktails so you can pick up a couple that will last you either a day or a week depending on how quickly you drink them um i'm drinking them quite quickly <laughs> depending on the week you've had depending on like oh i need to pick up a couple more um and those are really fun i don't know how what i did before mason jar cocktails like these are all these incredible takeaways that now i'm like well, i'm always gonna have a cocktail in my fridge ready to grab and chug yes you know um a friend of mine who's a chef who um, we were kind of having this conversation and she said to me, you know what, I think restaurants have been kind of poised for a change. Do you yeah. have, um, have you, do you have any no thoughts way, on that to. or have you thought about that at all? <clears throat> I think the hospitality industry absolutely needs a change. And um, the labor costs, uh, yes, is the answer. Um, I think we need, We've always, so as a restaurant group, we've always shopped local. We've always supported our local farmers. That's just something that is important, but I think that needs to translate to all dining experiences. Um, I think the business model, I think labor is a big problem here in California. And 
that's a huge challenge. And there are different laws that can maybe be changed to support restaurateurs and those in the hospitality business. Um, I don't know what's happening there is the answer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, just taking it day by day in the way that you are now, I think that some, um, you know, opportunities for change in a good way could definitely present themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. In anything, you know, we were, we are, if we don't come out of this with lessons learned, that will be a travesty. Yeah. So I actually wanted to ask you, um, a little bit about social media, cause I know everyone's screen time is way up right now. Um, how have you used social media to your advantage during this time? For those of you who don't follow you, cause there's, there's a lot of great stuff happening on your, on your channel. <laughs> um, do you know, I, I've, I've always used social media as, um, sort of a window into my life and what I'm doing. So I think it's always, people have always told me that it has felt very organic and that's why they like it. Um, <clears throat> I don't do it for any other reason, except it's just sort of when I think do something and it, I, it makes me laugh that I thought, oh, I might as well share this because it might make someone else laugh. It's not prescribed. It's not, I don't plan it out. No one else does it for me. Um, and I think maybe that's why it, I'm told it works. Um, I found social media to be, and certainly, hang on, with communicating across our different sites with what our weekly specials are. And again, as another way to connect to our guests, which now more than ever are two restaurants. And we need to connect with our guests. Every order counts before, you know, when I wouldn't... <laughs> Our waiting list was like 300 people a night. Now I'm like picking up the phone and taking orders. It's a, it's a different landscape. So yes, do I list, read every message that comes through to all of our different sites? Um, and my, yes, I absolutely do. And I write back because I think those voices need to be heard and I want to hear what they're saying about anything. Um, I think it was also one of the, the reasons why our give back program has been so successful is because I think I posted a picture of a hospital delivery thanking our heroes and people got in touch wanting to give. And so that has been, um, I continue to post now as much as I can because I want people to keep giving so that we can keep donating these meals. Um, I think social media though is also tricky right now because in fact, I took like a, uh, I took a break from social media. Was it last week or a couple weeks ago? Um, I think it was the week that we all were told in Los Angeles that the lockdown was going to go until July. And we all wanted to throw ourselves out the window. I wanted to throw myself out the window. I'm not going to project. Um, and I was like, oh, I've had enough. And then of course, then all of the morning briefings were coming in fast and furious. Like we're all dying. We're never going to open again. The restaurant industry is in collapse. I'm like, oh, great. Like, I'm over it. And it's sort of, it's a, it's a mixture of sensory overload, but also I think the way, the moments when I am most successful as a mother and a wife and, a, and an entrepreneur is when I'm in the present moment. And you cannot be in the present moment when you are scrolling through Instagram and taking in everyone else's energy and also even thinking about what you're going to post or what you know, if I'm on a walk with the children and picking flowers, and then I think, 
oh god that flower is so pretty oh i'll take a picture of it oh, i'm gonna put, uh, it's just like be present and i think and so i switched off for a week and it was wonderful and i'll do it again um because when we are present in this uh, it's very deep rack choke what is it um yeah, Deepak Chopra. But um, who's the other guy? Who's, who's the power of now guy no, I was just listening to? Oh, oh. Oh, what is his name? I would listen to a, an Oprah soul session with him. Anyway. Yes. Um, uh, no, now I have to look it up. Okay, look it up it. and tell me. Um, Eckhart Tolle? Yes, I, Eckhart Tolle. Exactly. Tolle? So okay, yeah. He was saying um, when the world is crumbling um, and there's chaos everywhere and people are dying, which, by the way, at some level is happening right now. Like we cannot say this is all silver lining and we're growing and deepening because there is mass mourning. The ec economy is the worst place it's probably ever been. I mean, it's, it's a disaster. But if you can be in the present moment and say, okay, right now, Marissa Hermer, I've got, you know, a lovely coffee. I've just finished my toast, having a lovely chat, sunny outside. I'm about to deliver food to the firefighters. I feel good in my body. I'm happy. I'm healthy. I'm like, it's okay. And if you take every moment and block everything else out, you're generally, you're going to be okay. Like every moment is sort of okay. But I think if you go into an Instagram hole or you're like being bombarded by the social media noise that is out there, it's very hard to be present. Um, so to answer your question, I think social media for me is certainly a way to communicate about the weekly specials that we have on and connect to our guests. And also, yeah, to share the funny things that I have going on in my life that I think are funny and to document in some way. Um, but equally, you have to like set up these barriers because otherwise you'll just, it's, it's too much and you can't stay f present. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thank you so much for all your insights. Um, this has been- Oh, I don't know if it's insightful. <laughs> no, for real, I, no, I mean like, not only the social media stuff, but oh. um, just your response to this crisis and, and how inspiring you have been is, has made for really good timing, I think, for our conversation. We've been planning on this for a while now, but I think um, now has been um, a really good opportunity for people to learn about what you're doing um, and, and hopefully be inspired by that. So thank you so much. Gosh, pleasure. I hope you can come join me for a cocktail and like french fries and whatever you want what's your favorite roast chicken or branzino i love a branzino i love um, i love roast chicken as well but if you can do a branzino right a branzino is this delicious little bit, oh i love it's it so delicious so at some point come for a dirty martini and a branzino for me with me and we can dance on tables all night but in the meantime stay well trust me i will <laughs> and i'll have my girlfriends with me <laughs> Thanks for Pleasure. Bye. I hope you were inspired by Marissa's story. For more information on You Give, We Cook, They Eat, visit thedracot.com and follow Marissa Hermer on Instagram for all the latest. Thanks for tuning in to Ellie Woman. Please do us a solid and subscribe and rate on iTunes. Plus, we're also now on Spotify and Google Play. We're also at LAWomanPodcast.com and at LAWomanPodcast on Instagram. 
Let's keep inspiring each other as LA women and as women everywhere. One more thing. This podcast was written, produced, and edited by me, Julie Roth. Our music was composed by Jazar. See ya!